love. Some would say it took a backseat when the pandemic forced us apart. As a family-run and proudly Canadian-owned company, Charm Diamond Centres saw the need to bring us together with tales of love and created the Canadian Love Map podcast. Since then, we've shared hundreds of real, uplifting stories that prove love conquers all. So thank you for listening. We couldn't do it without you. And remember, love starts here. We make each other better. She always reminds me about what actually matters. You know, love conquers all. Wherever he is, I I want to be there, always. She just always accepted me for who I was. He makes me a better person. It was like love at first sight. Well, love is the most important thing. My number one goal as soon as a child comes into my home is to make sure the parents know that I am on their side. I love their children and I love them. Fostering is not about taking kids away from parents at all. It's about fostering the whole family and having that reunification at the end of the day. We keep doing this because this is what we're called to do and we have the equipment to see some change and safety for these children. Hi, I'm Nancy Regan. This week's love story belongs to Rachel and Liz, two mothers who believe every child has the right to a family. They've both made it their purpose to provide love, shelter, and support to children in the foster care system. For nearly a decade, these two moms have given temporary homes to dozens of children. Their love, however, is as permanent as it is unconditional. This is the Canadian Love Map. Liz and Rachel, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having us. I'm really looking forward to this conversation because I think there's so many dimensions to what you do. And before we get into that, let's talk about what you do. Can you tell me, each of you, a little bit about yourself and how you know each other? My husband, Charles, and I, we started fostering a little over eight years ago. And when you, you know, become a foster parent and lean out to the community for support, um, you meet lots of people. And I met Liz through a mutual friend of ours. And I sort of just continued talking to her all the time. She seemed really knowledgeable and really open. And she was really there for me and my family through our first few placements, which were really difficult. And I don't really know... I don't really know how we got to be closer friends. I mean, well, I think it was because I ended up adopting a couple girls that were already friends with Rachel's kids. And uh, so to maintain that relationship and that fluency and relationship, um, Rachel and I just got them together more frequently. And then we just started camping together and yeah. hanging out more frequently. It uh, It's a really cool thing. Our friendship has allowed our kids to be around other people that get who they are and get their backgrounds and, you know, kind of going through things because of their trauma or whatever. It's like there's just this understanding amongst all of them. And so it's a really beautiful thing um, that our families are so close. A little bit of background. I have 
six permanent children, uh, six forever children. And then my husband and I, we continue to foster. So we have some biological children, some adopted children, and some foster children. And so when our families, my family and Liz's family, when they get together, there's children on in both families that have gone through things that they can relate to, like with each other. And it's, we don't have to explain like, you know, this child is saying, you know, that's my brother or this child is calling me mom and the other one's not. We don't have to, you know, break down the whole story of who's who and why do they do that? There's just like an overall understanding. And I think especially as our children get older, they open up to each other about things that maybe they don't even talk to us about um, and just have that understanding amongst themselves as well. Rachel, how did your journey into foster parenting start? (laughs) I don't really know exactly. It's not something I thought about a lot. Um, I know Liz has a very different story about how, you know, her life became this. My husband and I, we met when we were both single parents working full time. And when we met... And we were working and had children of our own, raising them. When we joined our families, when we merged our families together, life just became really easy for us. We were both used to doing everything on our own, working, dealing with little kids. And then there was all of a sudden two of us in the house, two parents, shared workload. We knew we had a lot of love to share, but... We also knew that we didn't have uh, the feeling of creating another child together. It was never a conversation even really, you know, should we make a baby or should we have a baby? We knew it would happen in other ways. We just weren't sure how. In retrospect, when I looked back now, I don't really think I understood fostering at all. I remember saying outrageous things like, oh my gosh, no one wants that baby. How could that be? And that's not what foster care is at all. Lots of people want their children. Um, That is not why they are in foster care. They are very loved and very wanted. And I guess through, you know, this friend of ours, I learned more about what fostering meant and what foster care would be. And When she said to me one day, you know, why don't you guys foster? I didn't really have a reason not to, except that I was worried about being heartbroken. And that is a very real (laughs) worry. And it's something that happens every single time we have a placement leave. But that heartbreak is less of a concern. These children need to be loved. They need homes. They need family. Um, So I just have to get over myself and realize that my feelings aren't what matters in these situations. So we started and we haven't stopped and we don't plan on stopping anytime soon unless they. And not only that, the loss is worth it. Like what we gain from fostering um, is definitely well worth Mm -hmm. the loss. Um, the loss sucks. It really sucks. <laughs> we would never sh- sugarcoat that. That's a mm. question we get asked all the time is how do you say goodbye? And people just assume like all like we must have this barrier in place that protects our heart from like really pouring into this child and really opening up to loving this child. But that's not it at all. We just endure the pain because they are worth it and it is all worth it. <laughs> the whole journey is worth that heartbreak. 
we are real humans, real people, real families, real emotions. And it really sucks when they leave. But if it didn't, we'd be doing it wrong. I was just going to say, it's almost necessary for you to do it mm-hmm. um, in an open-hearted way so that they feel safe and you create a bond. Absolutely. We always say that if, you, if you're if you able to create a bond with a child that's temporarily in your home, it's helping them learn how to trans- transfer that bond instead of when they go to their forever placement, whether that's adoption or going back home, if they've never created a bond in their temporary placement, then it's harder for them to actually create that bond later in life. So it's better that they create it while they're in their temporary home so that they can transfer it to their permanent home versus going to their permanent home and learning how to create some sort of bond. It's like building a muscle, isn't it? The ability to love and be connected. And trust. Liz, how did your story start? So back in my early 20s, uh, living in St. John's, Newfoundland, I worked as a um, independent living arrangement. And so I'm in my 20s and I'm going to these apartments or hotel rooms where kids who couldn't find a foster home were living with staff that are often in their early 20s. So no parenting experience, no nothing. We're going into these hotel rooms and we're taking care of these kids um, on like a 12 hour rotation. And it just, it really opened my eyes and my mission at that point, like going through that, I said, it's a fundamental right to be in a family. And so I kind of said when I got older that I would do my best. I can't give a family to every child, but I'm going to do my best to give a family to the children that need me. And so we started fostering actually while we were living in Houston, Texas, completely different experience than here in Nova Scotia. Mm -hmm. So we started fostering there and that's actually um, where we adopted our first child as well. And then we left Houston to come back to Canada and uh, moved to Nova Scotia. And once we got settled into our house, quickly contacted the agency here and started the process to begin fostering here as well. So in Nova Scotia, we fostered for 10 years before we finished up. And really, the only reason we're not fostering right now is because we have eight children and not that large of a house. (laughs) If somebody wants to buy us a mansion, then maybe maybe we can keep going. But uh, (laughs) mansion and maybe a nanny. I don't know. Um, But yeah, like my heart is still in it. Um, I love foster care and I would still be doing it right now if uh, we had the space. Yeah. So, so do you have you have eight adopted children? Eight adopted children. Yes. Yeah. I don't think anybody's going to be judging you for not fostering anymore. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, and so out of those eight children, not all of them were fostered by us. Sometimes um, we were fostering one of the siblings and and took um, the siblings on with us. Um, some of them were just a straight up adoption. Um, and so how it works here in Nova Scotia is like your your fostering file and your adoption file are completely separate. So you could be fostering, but you still need to contact the adoption side of things and start a file uh-huh. there if you want to adopt. So sometimes it was like, yeah, we were fostering, but we also knew we wanted to permanently add to our family. And so we would have an adoption file and go through the the same matching process that any other adoptive family would do. And how, uh, this is a tough, fraught question, but how do you make that decision? How does that (laughs) decision arrive that, 
okay, we're going to transition from fostering to adopting a child. I think of it from the child's perspective and, you know, the, the movies and the, um, documentaries you might've seen about kids desperately wanting that conclusion of adoption from the parenting point of view, how do you make that decision or is it all heart, not head? It's not really even our decision. I think is something we need to be really clear on every province, every country, they have their own guidelines and their own policies here in Nova Scotia. There is no foster to adopt. So there really isn't, you know, a goal to have foster children be adopted by their foster parents. That's not at all what foster care is about. The goal is always for children to return home. That is what we are working towards. That is what we love about foster care is for these children to return home to their birth families. Um, And if not their birth parents, another family member. I think sometimes what happens and what has happened in our experiences in different ways is that cannot happen. And then children do go into permanent care of community services and then are able to be adopted. But as Liz was saying earlier, that doesn't mean the foster parent gets to adopt them. It means there's a bunch of people that are looking to mm-hmm. adopt in Nova Scotia. And there's a bunch of families that are probably as good as the other to adopt these children. And so it really comes down to matching and and what's best for the child overall. In our experience, uh-huh. the children we have adopted, they have either medical needs or developmental needs that were at the end of the day, best met by us because they were in our home and we did go through a lot with these children. So when it came time for a family to adopt them, we knew in our hearts that we wanted our name to be considered. We wanted to be one of those people. It definitely wasn't a given. I never want people to think that foster care can lead to adoption because it very rarely does. And it's usually specific circumstances In my opinion, if we fostered with the intention to adopt, we would not be able to support the birth families. We would not be able to support those relationships in the way that we do. And I know for myself and my family, we really foster the whole family. And if our intention was to adopt that child, it wouldn't be the same relationship with the families at all. Um, if it's the government's goal yeah. for the child to go back to the family, like how much better would that be if mm-hmm. we did love the whole family and saw real change and transformation in that family? Like if the government wants to send a child back to their biological family and we didn't play a role in helping that family see transformation and change and they go back anyway, <laughs> then they're just going back to the same situation. So why not play that role in helping Mm -hmm. be a support, be a positive influence, um, and help the whole family learn how to care for their child so that they can go back to a healthier, happier home? Yeah, that's amazing. And I understand what you mean. If you were fostering with the intent of adopting, all of a sudden it almost puts you in competition with the bio family. Yeah. Yeah. And that is not at all what foster care in Nova Scotia is at all. 
I know a lot of people might see it as that. Um, my number one goal as soon as a child comes into my home is to make sure the parents know that I am on their side. I love their children and I love them. I am on their side because that is what foster care is about. It's about reuniting families, supporting families. And I never, ever want a birth family to feel like I'm a threat or that I'm taking their child away. The children that we're caring for and that we're loving are not our children. I know that. They they have family that love them and that want to work and do whatever they can to get them back. And, you know, it really gives us as a family purpose to help them and to help their child have the life that they should have with their parents. Fostering is not about taking kids away from parents at all. It's about fostering the whole family and having that reunification at the end Mm -hmm. of the day. Yeah. Oftentimes, it's a cyclical thing. The parent has often gone through some of the same things that the kids that are in our care have gone through. And so being able to kind of break that cycle and to get the help for the parent as well as the child I mean, that just feels so much better than seeing that cycle continue to go through and through. So much better. I've had birth moms say to me that they feel like I'm their mom. And sometimes these moms are older than me. I started fostering when I mean, I feel like I was pretty young and they they don't have a relationship with their parents, you know, all of the time. And I become sort of that older sibling or that mother figure to them as they're learning how to parent themselves. We have learned so much about what trauma does. And so I think now having foster parents who are more educated in the trauma and know how to parent in the trauma helps a whole lot. I think, you know, parents in the past have been have been flying blind because they just think that I can raise this child and care the same as I've raised my biological children or how the ideal of parenting looks and it's not at all. Trauma-informed parenting is so left field from regular parenting. And so sometimes trying to parent a child without trauma-informed care is is traumatizing for the child. And so um, I think a lot of that has happened in the past and and that has been damaging for children that have been in care. So I do see a shift in that, in that there are a lot more trauma-informed foster parents out there who really understand what they're doing. Yeah, I know when I, when we started fostering um, and went through the whole process, which is not short by any means, it's a very long process to become a foster family, a lot of the conversations, so this was less than 10 years ago, were around trauma and trauma-informed parenting. Charles and I, we had birth children of our own and we had to learn to parent much differently. And we also have to remember that the act of going into foster care is is creating trauma in itself, being removed from your biological family, whether that be a safe environment or not, does create trauma. So then when these children come into our home, if we don't parent them with trauma at the forefront, it can be really scary. So how do you do that? What does trauma-informed parenting look like? A normal child growing up, a a neuronormative child, believes that adults should be respected and trusted. 
Well, our kids' lived experiences are that adults cannot be respected and trusted. Looking at it in that lens of like, you need to actually build trust. And so how do we build trust? Well, we have to be there for the long run and we have to stick with it um, through the temper tantrums, through the aggression, through the, the pushing. And then on top of that, there's been a lot of abandonment often, um, whether that's from biological family um, or their lived experience or even in foster care, you know, Mm -hmm. changing placements is a massive issue. And so abandonment issues, A, already hurt the trust, but also it means that they're going to want to push you to see if you're really in this game for the long haul. And so a lot of behaviors are going to come out with that as well. Understanding the the reason behind the behavior instead of just parenting the behavior is a big thing with trauma. So really digging deep into understanding where that behavior is coming from and why it's there um, and having that understanding. You know, it's, you know, with your own neuronormative children, you're going to be like, okay, well, are they hungry, tired, or overstimulated? Well, with our children, it's like, you know, did they go through something similar? Is this a trigger? Is this, there's just so much more digging to do to figure out why the behavior is is coming out. And so I guess that's my quickest way of yeah. summing up what trauma-informed parenting really is. And trauma-informed parenting overall as, as a general way of parenting, because it's not like a child comes to our home with a list of everything they've gone through oh, yeah. or a list of everything of that's happened. We literally know uh, like a one line on what what caused, you know, this to need to happen. And and that's all we know. We don't know very much at details, all. Yeah. We don't know specific details or anything. So any single thing that you can think of could be a trigger for a child anything it can be a smell it can be a sound it can be a feeling well you think about you know all the people walking around in the world who have abandonment issues and mm-hmm. and various challenges who haven't gone through the kind of trauma that you're talking about no wonder you're dealing with these things i'm i'm curious about what is the secret to creating that bond of trust with a child who, you know, has been through possibly horrific experiences? Playing the long game, just sticking it through, sticking it Play through. Playing the yeah. long game, just keep reassuring. And things don't heal fast. So their trauma doesn't heal fast. They don't learn to move on. And not that trauma ever fully heals, but they don't learn their coping mechanisms fast. <laughs> and that's what we get to see on the adoption side of things. In the foster care, obviously, it's it's shorter term. Um, but on the adoption side of things, we just get to see how amazing that is when you see it to start to click um, and to fall into place. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's the long game. Some kids, it's years. Like, we kind of say in Definitely foster care years. that the rule of thumb is like for how long that they've been in their trauma um, and even and we count foster care in that as well because there's experiences in foster care that are traumatic. Even if it is a safer environment for them, being removed from their home, 
um, siblings needing to go on visits, being separated from siblings, things like that is it's traumatic. And so we count foster care into that. So say a child was four when they came into care and they spent two years in care, six years they were in their trauma. It can take double that until they're more healed. And that doesn't mean that everything is chaotic for that 12 years. It just means that it takes a long time for them to to feel deep down inside of them safe and secure and that this is a lasting thing. So it's a really long game. <laughs> we couldn't share the great stories that we do here on the Canadian Love Map podcast without the amazing support of Charm Diamond Centers. They are Canada's largest family-owned jeweler and they're proud to be putting love on the map. The folks at Charm Diamond Centers are thrilled to be a part of your love story. So visit CharmDiamondCenters.com or one of your local stores. Love starts here. And when I hear you say long game, it makes me think of the phrase unconditional love. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What does that mean to you? Unconditional love to me means that we are in it thick and thin. Um, you know, I've recently said to one of my children that like, I, I have hopped on this train, I am on this journey with you, and I'm not getting off. You know, we're on this journey and and with every kid, it's a whole other journey. (laughs) No no one kid is the same, but we are on this train together and we're going to get to our destination. Um, we just gotta, we just gotta stick it out together. And so no matter you pushing me, no matter whatever you're going to try, I'm here, I'm done. Um, the hard part is that there has been failed adoptions. It's a whole other traumatic experience. And so um, really seeing adoptive families educate themselves on trauma-informed care and really making that commitment that like, no matter what happens, we're in it is a beautiful thing to see because seeing these kids come back into foster care because of a failed adoption, it just, it it adds Mm. to that lack of trust. It adds like the next person who wants to adopt them is going to have to fight even harder Mm -hmm. to prove to them we are here and we want to love you. So yeah, hopping on that I can see how that would just be layers of trauma, layering it on. You talk about that moment where there's a click can you describe how that's happened with some or a particular child you've fostered? I don't know if I've seen it with any of my children that I've fostered during fostering because it is temporary. I don't know if any child fully feels safe until they know it's forever. Mm-hmm. Right. The other thing I should mention is Charles and I, we do foster younger children as well. So a lot of the time it's more about us having the attachment with the child so that they know what a healthy attachment is so we can help transfer that either back to the birth family or to the adoptive parent. With trauma, it's not like, oh, boom, (laughs) we've got through this. We've met our destination. It's just seeing those little growth things. Um, And so, you know, being on the outskirts and knowing Rachel well, I know that there's growth and there's there's been clicks for her kids as well as mine. It could be as simple as all of a sudden they trusted you to come and talk about what what they're going through, what they're feeling right now. 
Um, it could be as simple as, you know, I've had kids that haven't called us mom and dad for a very long time. And then all of a sudden they feel safe enough. It's not just about like changing the the name like, oh, I was comfortable calling you Mark and Liz and now I'm comfortable. Call it's actually that trust to say mm-hmm. you're my mom and I trust you in that role of being my mom. And so it's just those little things. And it's emotional. Like <laughs> when we look back and see some of those progress things, like I think we just get emotional. <laughs> Very emotional all the time. It's a roller coaster because you know, sometimes I'll look, I- I'm thinking about one of my children specifically, and, you know, we'll be going through a really great, a really, really great time with him. And things seem so easy and so natural. And, you know, I'm like, oh my gosh, like we've overcome so much. And then out of nowhere, something mm-hmm. triggers him. And I feel like we're set back six months. And, mm-hmm. I just have to keep reminding myself of all the little moments and think back to what it used to be like and how it can be now. And it really all comes back to trust and attachment. Yes. And when you talk about that kind of three steps forward, yeah. <laughs> two steps back or five steps back, yeah. that that takes you back to the concept of the end game that Liz talked about. Yeah. You got to yeah. keep your eye on the And I'm not game. so sure many adoptive families expect that. Like, I think they just see the growth and expect it to continue down. Mm -hmm. But like with trauma, it goes back and forth all the time. So, yeah. It seems to me that most people have an aversion to failure. And I can see that in fostering, you would you would have to get over that because Mm -hmm. you'd have to be able to sort of metabolize those setbacks without feeling like you're a failure. Is that true? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. (laughs) (laughs) I can't count the amount of times that I would sit there and go, am I enough? (laughs) Have I done enough? Uh, But you just have to remember that like you weren't the one that caused the trauma. You're just there on the journey to help heal them from the trauma. It's so important to have people in your life that understand what you're going through. I think that's why you know, the relationship between Liz and I is so important because she understands when I'm having those moments of, am I enough for this child? Did we make the right decision when we told the agency that we could do this, that we could take this on? Were we thinking a little bit too positively? Like, can we do this? You know, rose colored glasses. Like, yeah, you're really making me emotional now because I can't help but think that you feel like that, but at the same time, you are in the business of creating enoughness. If you really look at what you're doing for these kids, you're trying to to erase the not enoughness that they feel because of their, you know, huge range of traumas and create that feeling that yes, I'm enough and I'm worthy of love and I can trust. It's it's really profound. Yeah. (laughs) Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. I think, you know, sometimes moment to moment, day to day, we are so busy. And I know in our household, we're, we're very chaotic. There's a lot going on that sometimes when I do have a moment to sit back and think about, you know, how everyone's doing 
think about the children individually. It is just so overwhelming to really think that I'm doing enough for every child. I could never have imagined doing it without somebody else that understood the the journey as well. For something as simple as like, oh, you know, my my kid punched somebody in the in the playground today or whatever, like to be able to text that to Rachel, I know that there's no judgment. Whereas yeah. into another parent who doesn't understand the trauma and everything else, they'd be like horrified. <laughs> what are you going to do? You must ground them forever, put them in their room and That is not how you parent trauma. (laughs) No. And so having that support of somebody that I can talk to and and understand that we keep doing this because this is what we're called to do. And we have the equipment to stick it out the long run. And we know that we have what it takes to, to see some change and healing and safety for these children. So. Yeah, there is there is a much larger than I would have ever expected foster and adoptive community here in Nova Scotia. Until I started fostering, like I said before, I knew nothing about it. Um, but once you start, if you make an effort to, you know, build some relationships within that community, um, you get to know lots of people, share up, share downs. It is really great and really important. Many... Uh, if not most of my close family friends now are either adoptive parents or foster parents or once foster parents. Um, It's just the way it has to be. I do have friends, of course, and some close friends that are not in this community and they do get it. And, you know, through our relationships, I've taught them a lot about fostering um, and what it means. So they do get it, but not in the same way that some others would get it you know it's Mm -hmm. it's so challenging when you're fostering and it's like anything else there's going to be good days and there's going to be bad days and just because I'm having a bad day doesn't mean I need to quit you know the children deserve a family they don't deserve to be in hotel rooms or in group homes they deserve to have a family so I'm going to keep doing it but it doesn't mean it's not hard the whole set of life skills that you yeah. missed out on by living in a hotel room. Absolutely. <laughs> with no family, with staff coming in, right? So every child has a right to a family. What's the most rewarding thing about fostering or adopting that you've experienced? I think there's many. Seeing families grow and heal, that is certainly rewarding. Um, and then just seeing the kids heal from their own traumas. And, and the minute they feel like they're worth what they're getting now. Like I'm worth having a family. I'm worth being loved. That is (laughs) the reward in its own. Yeah. I can love somebody, but if they don't feel like they're worthy of that love, it's like throwing your love at a, at a wall and it just falls. (laughs) But when they are open enough now to receive that, that is a reward for sure. I think in fostering, the biggest reward, like Liz said, is seeing families be back together. I have seen, I'm going to get emotional again. I can't speak ever about fostering and adopting without crying. I have seen some parents go through things that I cannot imagine going through. And they now are parenting their children and those children are thriving. The families are thriving. 
I sometimes look at a couple of the moms that I know where I have fostered their children and I say like, you're a better mom than me. Like, oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. Like what they have gone through, what they have overcome, it's unreal to see this happen. When I first started fostering, I was very naive and it took me a little bit to understand this whole outlook that I have now on fostering the whole family. And I just remember the first child that we had, you know, go back home and watching those parents with that child that I loved for so long, for 18 months, I loved this child and they were like my own. And then to see the parents just come into their own and become the parents that they needed to be for that child is really amazing. I remember going to their house and this child came into foster care as an infant. So it was closer to 18 months when they returned home. And I remember going to the parents' home and showing them how to bath a baby. I mean, you don't just wake up one day and know how to bath the baby. They were really nervous, but these parents wanted to do everything they could to parent their children, everything they could. And it's amazing to see them now. It's, it's, I'm blessed to still be a part of their life for many of my children that have returned home or back to biological family in some way. I am blessed to be in contact with them. And that's rewarding. You know, that's that's why I foster, you know, to see these children go home. I know this. Uh, there must be a very broad answer to this question, but I'm still going to ask, who are the kids in foster care? They're anyone. These children are any child that you would see. Any child. It, it could be a two-day-old baby just born in a hospital. It can be a 15-year-old. It's honestly any child. And talk about the range of experiences that they've come out of that have caused them to be in the foster care system. I think addictions, domestic violence in the home, domestic abuse are, you know, the ones that I would say are the most obvious. But we also have to remember that sometimes these children are in care for other reasons. Maybe there was family illness and the family didn't have support. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, if there's one parent taking care of children and they can no longer do that and there's no family support, then children end up in foster care. Uh, Mental health of parents uh, is obviously something that is happening as well. And sometimes the parents just need the time to concentrate on healing themselves. And it's really difficult, I can imagine, to heal yourself when you're caring for children. Sometimes Mm -hmm. the parents just need the time to care for themselves, to be the parents that they need to be. What you're saying makes me think of the phrase, hurt people hurt people. Yeah. And you need to heal that hurt in order to go on and be a, a healthy parent. Yeah. And it's amazing when it happens. It really, really is. The thing that I remind myself of almost daily is that I don't make the decisions. Foster parents do not make any decisions. 
I don't make any decisions with regards to access, visitation, court appearances, anything like that. You can't it's even not, decide to cut their hair without yeah. <laughs> approval. It's, right? not, so. it's not up to us to judge these parents. That is not at all what we are here for. And at the end of the day, we have to trust the Department of Community Services, the judges to make the decisions in the best interest of the child. But it's not up to us. Our job is to love these children, to love the family, and do our best to go along with whatever decisions made. I would love for every child to go home. I really, really would. It's not up to me. If you were in an elevator and you needed to tell someone why they should consider fostering, what would you say? You should consider fostering because there's a huge need for foster parents and every child deserves a family and you don't need to be the perfect parent to foster. Nobody's perfect. We're just parents. We're just humans just trying to share our love. I think a lot of times when I meet new foster parents, they didn't even realize they could be a foster parent until someone told them. They didn't realize they were qualified. There's no qualifications. You don't need a degree in parenting to be a foster parent. You need to be willing to learn about trauma. And you need to be willing to work with professionals in the best interest of the children. There's definitely a need. I think Liz described it as a calling. Did you use that word? Yeah. yeah. I think for me, it's a calling because I'm I'm involved in so much more than just actually fostering um, and, and adopting. It's because I want to have conversations like we are today. It's because I want to be involved in supporting other foster parents. I would say that's why I consider it my calling. I, I think anybody can be a foster parent or an adoptive parent. I don't think you have to, because like, people always say to me all the time, so like, oh, you're special. Like you, it, it takes mm -hmm. a special person. And, and I don't think it takes a special person at no, all. It doesn't. Um, if you're willing and capable to learn, like Rachel said, and you have the space and the love to give, then do it. For me to describe why people should foster has more to do with what the child deserves than what you're going to get out of it. You yeah. will get mm -hmm. so much out of it, more than we ever could have imagined going into it. Um, but it was more about that these children deserve safe, happy homes and families to live in. And there is a big need. I never want to see another child living in a hotel room, even if it's for a weekend. People, I think... <sighs> See foster parents as, like I've said previously, taking away the children. And if there wasn't foster parents, there would be no need to take the children away from their birth family. And that's just false. That's just not true. There are policies and laws and guidelines. Children will continue to need places to go, which is why they are in the apartments and are in the hotel rooms. Those numbers are continuing to go up. We need more foster parents, bottom line. And we also need more adoptive parents that understand trauma. Like I, I think that some people go into adoption just wanting to build their family. And that's not a unnoble way of <laughs> building your family. Like it's still a beautiful thing, but then they just really don't understand the trauma side of it. Um, mm -hmm. And so they're looking for the newborn baby or they're looking for a file that might not have much written in it for history and things like that. And I think going into adopting and, and adopting out of foster care, you have to understand that there is 
there's a whole book that comes with that child. There's a whole history and trauma and everything that comes with that child. And so you're signing up to take that on and say, I'm going to go on this journey with this child to help heal and provide safety and everything else for them. And so we need more more people like that Yeah, as well. More people that will sign up for the long haul and be willing to learn to to look to adopt, you know, a child with no trauma is just unrealistic. Adopting anyone, no matter the age, from foster care, trauma comes along with it. And so just understanding that and and being willing to stick with it. Mm-hmm. Well, Liz, you said, you know, we're not special, but I, I'm afraid I have to respectfully disagree. <laughs> I think you're both magnificent and what you're doing is special and so incredibly valuable. And and when I say that, I mean also creating the awareness that you are with a conversation like this. So I just want to say thank you so much for how you're showing up in the world and showing up for these children who need you. Well, we appreciate you giving us the opportunity to talk about it. Rachel, you can't talk because you're going to cry. Right? Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love talking about fostering and adopting, mainly fostering. Our adoption journey is very different. I like to shed light on the positive sides. I don't think we talk about the positives enough. I think when people think of foster care, they do associate it with a negative experience. And it is. I mean, a child being removed from their birth family is not a positive experience. However... If that leads to the family healing in the way they need to heal and the child having love and attachment through that and then being reunited, that, that's that's a, amazing. It really is. It's a special kind of love story. If we can talk about the positive things and we can help support other foster parents who will be in it with the long game, um, then, you know, we've helped even more. So, yeah. Thank you both so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Canadian Love Map. If you love us, please subscribe and share. And if you want to help us spread the love even more, rate and review our podcast. It makes such a difference. We'll be back next week with another love story to add to the map. This podcast is presented and made possible by Charm Diamond Centers. It's hosted by me, Nancy Regan, and is produced and distributed by Podstarter.